from Romans chapter 6. We're going from verses 1 through to 14. So if you're following along, that's Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law but under grace. Just invite Andy up and just pray for him before he leads us. Father God, we thank you for your word, and I pray now for Andy as he comes to share. Father, would you give him boldness in all that he has prepared, that you believe that he wants, and that you have to share with us, God. So would you fill him um, with all wisdom and truth, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. (coughs) Good morning. And... uh, Dead and Alive, uh, the tensions of life and faith uh, is our topic this morning in our series uh, on tensions. And uh, you may have heard uh, of the man who thought he was dead. Um, He was absolutely convinced that he was dead. Um, His wife and kids were totally exasperated by uh, his his, his adamant kind of claim that he was. And they kept telling him, listen, you can't be dead. You're walking around, you're talking with us, you're breathing. How can you possibly be dead? But he absolutely insisted, nope, I'm absolutely dead. So eventually they think, we've got to take you to the doctor. So they take him to the doctor, he pulls out all the medical books to demonstrate what the vital signs are that prove that you're alive, including the fact that it eventually convinces him that dead men don't bleed. And uh, he agrees with it, so the doctor gets out his needle, puts it in his finger, and out comes blood. And the guy stares at it and goes, unbelievable, dead men do believe, do bleed. And um, that is a, is a story that illustrates the, how our presuppositions are so difficult to shake in our lives. That uh, we are already convinced of a position, 
even if we get evidence to the opposite of that, that we still stick with what we think um, is true. And so it is with this passage in Romans chapter 6, but it's the other way around. Um, what Paul is trying to tell us is that we are dead to sin, but actually we often feel that it's alive and kicking uh, in our lives. Um, uh, because there are so many things in our life that we know that we get wrong. We, we fail on our own standards. How much more do we fail on God's standards? We hurt people. We let people down. Uh, we live in a self-centered way, and we experience guilt and shame uh, through and in our lives. And it's like that uh, proverbial shopping trolley with a dodgy wheel. You know, you try and push it in this direction, it keeps going off in that direction. And so it is with our lives. Uh, I love uh, the practical joke that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle played many years ago on 12 respectable men. And I mean highly respectable people uh, in the country. And he sent each one of them a telegram that simply said, flee at once, all has been discovered. And within 24 hours, all of them had left the country. He knew nothing about them, and yet every one of them had something serious enough to hide that they just didn't want to be found out. And if you received that telegram today, um, I wonder how many of us would be a little bit hot under the collar that everything was going to be exposed, everything was going to be discovered uh, about our lives. But what it says here is that as believers in Jesus, we are dead to sin. It has no power over us anymore. And the big question is, do you believe that? Do you really believe that in our lives? And Paul uses the word no. It comes three times in this passage. Um, don't you know, he says in verse 3, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him. Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And verse 9, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do we know these things? Do we believe them? And he uses this repetition because he wants us to understand, really understand this doctrine. And when you read in the Bible and you come across a promise, then it is something that you claim. When you read the Bible and you come across a command, then it's something that we obey. But when we read the Bible and we read a truth, then we need to believe it uh, in our hearts and in our lives. And the basic truth here is that as believers, we are identified with Jesus in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. Our old self has died, our old self has been buried, but our new self has risen uh, to life. So the first five and a half chapters of the book of Romans are all about the sins that we commit and the fact that we've kind of fallen people. And now he's moving on to the whole thing of sin as a principle. So sins are the actions that we do. Sin is the kind of the, the motivating, the power that is behind uh, much of our lives. You know, the sins of our lives are the fruit, but the sin is the root uh, behind it all. It's like getting a, a, you know, a dose of measles or something, some disease where you get a horrible rash on the outside. But we all know that it's not the rash that's really the problem. It's the virus that you get that is on the inside. And so it is with our, our lives. You know, the sins, if you like, are the symptoms. They're the things on the outside that are resulting because of something on the inside, this principle of sin. And if you really want to deal with it, you can deal the, with the rash, but really you want to deal with the root cause, which is the virus within. And uh, that is what sin um, kind of come, relates to here. So Paul teaches us and reminds us that we have died to sin. And so the first part of Romans is all about what Jesus has done as our substitute, that he's paid 
for us. And then this part moves on to what we do in identifying with him. So in substitution, Jesus died for me so that I don't need to. In identification, I died with him. Um, The first is about justification, this New Testament term. Um, The second is about sanctification. Um, So the first is righteousness that has been freely put into our account. We are freely forgiven. But sanctification is about how does that work out in my life? What difference does that make to me on a Monday morning and through the rest of the week? Righteousness made part of my life. We are saved by his death, but we're also saved by his life. He rose again to give us new life in this. So as a Christian, I am in Christ. I am identified with him. What happened to him happened to me. Okay? When he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. When he rose again, I rose in him and are now in the heavenly realms. And so Paul says, do you know that? You know, do you absolutely know that? And uh, we'd be celebrating a baptism over at Bourneville this morning. Max Theophilus is getting baptized. And that is what baptism is. It is saying publicly, I'm identifying with Jesus. I'm identifying with his death as I go into the water, with his burial, and that I come to new life. I proclaim it to the heavenlies. I make this claim on myself that this is the truth that I live. So I encourage you, if you've never been baptized as a believer, it is a wonderful uh, discipleship step to follow and to make that truth real uh, in our hearts and lives. But in life, we can either follow the sinful nature or we can follow what uh, God and his righteousness. Um, I just want to do a quick side note on good and evil uh, for a minute um, because it, it relates to our, our talk today. Because behind good, the biblical worldview is that there is goodness himself and that is the God of the Bible. But that behind evil and sin, there is also a personified power of evil and the Bible calls him the devil. And I'm not talking about some kind of medieval caricature with kind of red leotards and pointy hats and, and you know, spears and all the rest of it any more than God is a guy with a white beard floating around on a cloud. Okay? But there is a real uh, deal here with a transcendent power of evil um, who works through the spiritual forces of darkness uh, in our world. And he's an absolute schemer. And he will do anything and everything um, to get you to doubt God's truth. Jesus called him the father of lies. Okay? He comes to lie to us, whereas Jesus comes as the truth into our lives. He is the one who's over the dominion of darkness, and whereas Jesus is over the kingdom of light. And he's the one who will get you to doubt and not believe, whereas Jesus calls us to trust and to believe in all of that. So the truth here is that you died to sin, that you and I as Christians are alive in Christ. And if we don't believe that, then it will stop us living effective lives when we try to. Before we become Christians, we're identified actually with Adam. That's where our identification is. We're identified with Adam in his kind of sin and his condemnation. Whereas in Christians, we're to be identified with Jesus Christ. And uh, so our very nature was sin. And the result of that is that we're separated from God, spiritual death, we served ourselves, and effectively, we're we're effectively serving um, this character, trapped by the devil in that. So when it comes to um, the new, when we become Christians, our whole nature is changed. 
2 Peter says this. He says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Participate in the divine nature. Before, we had a sinful nature. That is our natural tendency. But now we participate in Jesus' divine nature. Not, you are no, not divine and you're not eternal, but we are eternally united with Jesus' divinity. We are in him. We are connected. We are identified with Jesus. Paul says in Ephesians 5, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So therefore live as children of the light. 2 Corinthians 5, he says, If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. It has gone. The new has come. Um, so there was an old self, and there's now a new self. The old self was motivated and living independent of God, whereas the, the new self wants to, wants to please Jesus. It knows it's in Christ, and therefore it wants to live like that. The old self was characterized by sin. The new self, it depends upon God. It now wants to be dependent upon God rather than independent of him. And uh, the truth is, okay, if you're a believer today, your old self is dead, Okay, that is remarkable. The old self is absolutely dead and buried, and the new self is alive. And therefore, we no longer need to sin, but we still have the choice. We still have the choice to act independently uh, of God. Your death to sin, the old self, ended your relationship as sin as, as your master. It absolutely ended that relationship. But sin still exists because sin itself didn't die. You died. You died to sin. Sin is still around. Sin is still alive and kicking. Sin is still strong and appealing. But its power and its authority over you has been completely broken. And uh, that part of you, which was trained well to live independently of God, is also still around. It didn't die. So you still have memories, you still have habits, you still are conditioned by our responses. We still um, have thought patterns ingrained into our lives um, of which prompt us to focus ourselves on our own interests rather than on God's interests. So you are no longer, as Paul says, in the flesh. You're no longer in the sinful nature um, as your old self was. You are now in Christ. But we still can choose to walk according to the sinful nature, it says in Romans 8, 12. You can still go along with your old urges to serve yourself instead of God, but it's our choice. And it's our responsibility okay, to crucify the flesh or to put to death the misdeeds of the body on a daily basis so that we learn to walk according to the Spirit. Galatians 5, 16. We renew our minds with the truth. And the truth is, that you are dead to sin and you are alive in Christ. You are no longer slaves to the sinful nature, but you're free to offer yourselves as an instrument of righteousness. And so the New Testament uses the metaphor of new birth. Again, one we may be familiar with, John 1 talks about it. He says he gives us the right to become children of God. Born not of natural descent, but born of God. It's the beginning of a new identity. It's the beginning of a whole new nature, completely different. Um, last year we did a, a picture of one of our kids. This is Shona from 0 to 21. And uh, you see the unfolding nature of human beings. You know, we, we grow up 
um, we, 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 get, we have the DNA that we're born with and we develop. A baby develops into whatever it's, it's, um, it's kind of made to be, in a sense. That nature unfolds. Um, we had some robins nesting in our hedge last week, I think. And I uh, don't know if they're still there. The cat might have got them now, but never mind. The, um, the, the egg is, is hatches and the bird becomes the nature of a bird. Yeah, It's the DNA of what it is. Okay, so with human nature, it unfolds and finds expression. But in the New Testament, we have this stunning truth that we have been born of God, that we are now have the DNA, if you like, of God. So we have a new nature that will unfold in our lives and find expression. Okay, and that new nature, that divine nature, is planted deep within every single one of us that believes in Jesus. And therefore, something radically is going to change and transform us from within. I think of, a, you know, I don't know, think of a rock for a moment. A rock is a pretty, that's not, doesn't live, okay? It doesn't have any life in it at all. A rock is just a rock. It just sits there, doesn't it? Um, whereas a plant is a little bit more advanced than a rock, okay? Um, perhaps not a lot more, but a little bit more, okay? It's a living thing. It can sense its environment. A plant knows if it's light or dark. A plant knows if it's hot or cold. It knows if it's wet or dry. And they, they also seem to know what's up and what's down so they can grow in the right direction. Okay, they have some sense of its environment. But an animal has even more sense of its environment. A, a, an animal can sense danger and it can run. Okay, an animal can see usually and can usually hear. Okay, it can make more sense of its reality than a plant can or a rock can. And then, of course, there's humans, human nature. You know, we have uh, reason. We have the ability to make deductions. We have the uh, ability to, to think ahead, to plan ahead, to foresee things of the future, see the challenges around us. Uh, we engage with the politics of the world. We perceive good and evil, injustice and injustice. Okay, we are more there's more sense of reality of our world. We understand our world better than a rock does, or a plant does, or an animal does. Uh, so do we. We would not hold an animal responsible for eating or killing a weaker animal of its own species. Okay? Whereas if a, a person does it, or a tribe, or a gang, or, or whatever, we would hold them accountable because we believe in a moral world and, and justice and the rest. So different orders of life see a better reality and act effectively in that reality. And so it is with new birth, that we partake, not with human nature, but with a divine nature. Okay, so when you give a pig a pearl or a diamond, what does a pig do with it? Just munches on it. It doesn't realize what it is. Okay, and Jesus referred to that in Matthew 7. It just keeps on munching. It's got no sense of the value of that. What about people and us? We talk about um, words like God in our culture, um, the holiness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the Jesus on the cross, and so much in our world don't get it. It's like, it's like munching on pearls and diamonds. They don't realize what it is about. There are abstractions to them. There's not a reality to that. They're not electrifying kind of themes in their lives. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, what did the world do? They chewed him up and they spat him out. They didn't understand. They didn't get what he was about. They didn't sense the real reality of who he was and who God was. 
But the way to receive this new nature is through new birth. And when we become born of God, we receive that nature and we can start to understand what this whole thing is, that there's another reality beyond what we know. And because we're able to see things, we can see the full reality of that and how it affects our lives. That we are now children of God, we are now free from sin, and we can live accordingly. C.S. Lewis put it like this. He said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I could see it, but because by it, I can see everything else. Okay? Because by it, it, it brings a new reality to understanding the world in which we live. And Paul says, do you know these things? Do you know that you have really died to sin? That your old self is really dead and buried? That sin is no longer your master? You know, when Jesus died on the cross, um, his father allowed his son to bear the sin of the world, to bear our sin and to bear our sins in his body. When he died on the cross, the sins were there. And the whole of sin as a principle, if you like, was, was on him. Okay, but when he rose from the tomb, it wasn't. When he ascended to heaven, it was no longer there. It's been defeated. And today he sits at the right hand of the Father and there is no sin on him at all. And we are in him. Okay? We are in heavenly places in him. Okay? And therefore, we have died to sin as well. And if you're a Christian trying to, trying to struggle to die to sin, you will find it a fruitless exercise because you already are. You're already dead to sin you need to believe it Romans 6 you'll read this again and you'll just see it's just past tense all the way through verse 2 we are we are those who have died to sin how can we live it any longer okay or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death past tense we were therefore buried with him verse 5 for we have been united with him in a death like his Verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him. Verse 7, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. It is all past tense. It's not something that is current. It is something that has been done. And Paul says we absolutely need to understand and believe it. Because the battle will go on in our minds. And that is always where the battle rages. That is how the enemy works uh, with us. Uh, Romans 7, Paul says, I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. And so the devil gets us to think that we're just, you know, it's just between us and we're just, we're just failing all the time. We're getting it wrong in our lives uh, all the time. Um, imagine just for a moment that you were in a, an African hut Okay, and there's a door to this African hut. Beautiful surroundings around sides. And somebody says to you, right, this is, you're allowed to look, but you're not allowed to open that door. If you open that door, just, it's not good. Don't open the door. Okay, just stay in the hut, don't open that door. It's, it's not, not going to be helpful. But you go and it's so beautiful outside. You're so tempted to do so. So you, you open the door and then this massive blood-sucking insect is waiting for you with his knife and fork in hand, ready to sink his teeth, his mandibles, and his feet into you and uh, chew you up completely. Okay. In that situation, who would you take it out on? Would you take it out on yourself or would you take it out on the insect? Probably the insect. Okay. Yes, we shouldn't have opened the door. I shouldn't have opened the door. I realize I shouldn't have opened the door. 
but actually I'm going to try and deal with the insect. That's the thing to, to, to sort out here. Yet in our lives, so often we, we sin and we take it out on ourselves rather than realizing there's something else at work here. There's something else trying to work and suck, our, suck the life uh, out of us, the insect. So in real life, though, when you open the door, this is invisible. You don't see it, okay? But it's really there. When we open the door to sin, this is kind of what happens in our lives. And so James says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Because you can close the door, okay? But you close the door, you've still got a dirty great insect hanging off your arm, okay? It's still painful. You're still feeling the, the effects of it. So closing the door is one thing, but actually we need to get rid of the very thing that is causing us. And that's how sin works in our lives. So James says, submit to God and uh, we say sorry to God. I should not have opened that door. Okay, I'm going to close that door. Forgive me. You know, I turn around, I close that door. But I now need to deal with what's going on. So he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Get rid of the bug. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your life, Ephesians 4. And so we resist by renewing our minds. We resist by understanding that we are dead to sin, that it has no hold on us anymore. We, we believe the truth, we declare the truth. You know, I am dead to sin and I am alive to God in Jesus Christ. This sin, whatever it is, no longer rules over me, so be gone. Be gone from my life and I will walk free from it. And I'm not going to open that door again, hopefully. Okay? But we don't beat ourselves up. Okay? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, says Paul. Romans 8 verse 1. But submit to God, confess, turn from our sins and resist the devil by believing the truth and declaring the truth. Because the devil will battle with our minds, our thoughts. And if he can control our thoughts then he can start to control how we behave and how we live. But he doesn't come like a bull in a china shop. He comes as a snake in the grass to lure us, to lie to us, and to tempt us. And have none of it. Have none of it. Submit to God and resist the devil, and he will flee because the power has been broken. You know, if somebody came to you and said, can I borrow the car? Have you got a car? Okay, say you've got a car. Can I borrow the car this weekend? Because um, we want to take some young people away, do some amazing things in the community. We're going to do all this, that, and the other. That is a good reason to lend them your car. Someone else comes and says to you, um, can, I, can I borrow your car? We've got a heist on. We're going, to, we're going to raid a few banks at the weekend. That's a less good reason to lend your car. Now, you have free choice still whether you're going to lend your car to, to these people. Okay, one's good, one's, one's not good. Um, but it's your choice. And so it is with our bodies. So it is with our lives. Like the car, it's your choice. It's my choice. Okay? But I am no longer mastered by sin. And therefore, it's my choice. I'm not driven by it. You can choose to do the right thing. You can do or you can go and do the wrong thing. You can go the way of sin or you can go the way of righteousness. One will enslave you. One, you will find freedom. But Paul says you are to count yourselves dead to sin. Reckon yourselves dead to sin. Do not let sin reign in your body. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin, but offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. And the great thing about grace 
in it all is grace allows us to grow when we get it wrong. Because we will fall, we will stumble. But grace says, that's okay. Okay, you can grow. You can still grow. That's grace. Grace makes us grateful that we have a new nature. You have this new nature. You have God's kind of spiritual DNA within you creating this new nature within us. That is something to be incredibly grateful for and thankful for. And grace brings us into this personal relationship with Jesus. Um, And so because we're in relationship with him, we want to please him. We want to live for him. And therefore, we want to live righteous lives uh, rather than sinful lives. And we're not to forget our covenant relationship with Jesus. Um, um, A few months after my parents were married, um, my dad had a a really bad road traffic accident. And there was was, was dense fog. Apparently, there was a a T-junction. The car came uh, around. Another car came from the direction, spun around. Lamppost comes down right across the car. My dad's uh, unconscious in hospital for quite a long time. But the, the strangest thing was that when he eventually came around and when he was released from the hospital, he forgot that he was married, right? He, he didn't know who my mum was. It was really weird. I can imagine for a minute. It's like, right? how often in our lives, though, do we forget that we're married to Jesus? You know, Romans 7 says we are effectively in a covenant relationship with Jesus. We are married to him, and therefore we want to live for him uh, in our lives. And therefore we want to honor him um, because we have a new nature, because we have the Spirit of God within us. So you are dead and you're alive. You are dead to sin and you are alive to Jesus. So just let's say that together. Okay? I am dead and I am alive. I am dead and I am alive. I am dead to sin. I am dead to sin. I am alive to Christ. Let's pray. Maybe the bands could come up. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and uh, we just afresh say we're sorry for all that we've done wrong Uh, in thought, in word, in deed. And I confess my sin to you this morning. I ask you for forgiveness and I receive that forgiveness now. I thank you that as I put my trust in you, you give me a new birth, a new nature. The old has gone, the new has come. Thank you that when you died and were buried, my old self died with you and was buried in you. And I choose to believe that today. Today I count myself dead to sin, but alive to you, God, in Christ Jesus. Therefore, I won't let sin reign in my mortal body. I won't obey its evil desires. Sin will no longer be my master. But I offer every part of myself to you as an instrument of righteousness. I submit to you, God. I resist the devil who must now flee. In Jesus' name, amen.